Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. We've been talking about this for four other Novembers, and we're finally doing it. Correct. What are we doing? We're doing Noir-vember. Noir-vember. That's Noir-vember. Wow. Our fifth November, and we're finally doing it. We're going to be covering two classic noir movies this month, as yep. well as two modern-day neo-noir movies. You gave me a list of both types, and yep. then I, I picked two of the neos because I one of them I know really, really well, and uh, the other one I know pretty well. So it'll be a good mixture. And the other two that we picked, this one is one of the two that you picked of the classics. Yeah. Both of the noirs, the, the classic noirs we picked are both from 1950. Right, right. And they're probably from the list you gave me, they're the most recognizable. If you've ever seen the movie before, you see the name and you go, I've, I know that, I'm aware right. of that movie. Because yeah. the first one we're talking about, which you know from looking at your, uh, from looking at the, <laughs> <laughs> the podcast, Jules Dassin's 1950 Night in the City. Yeah. Starring Richard Widmark and Gene Tierney, which is funny because uh, when we were talking about this, it's, they remade this movie with Robert De Niro and Jessica Lange in 92. It's its its, its own thing. I'm not going to, I'm not here to talk about that movie. So, but it has been remade. If the title sounds familiar to you, you know, maybe you're thinking of that. Well, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the original 1950s Night in the City. There's so much about this movie. Like you, you, right at the, right the very beginning, you're seeing... Richard Ridmark running and he's running across the, the bridge right near Big Ben. The thing about the movie is there's moments in there you're thinking, was this shot on a New York street at, at down oh, in right? Central City? No, it's 100% top to bottom shot in the UK. This is all London. This is all, these are all located. This is, it's funny because, uh, Dassin on, on, on the blue, on the criterion version, there's a, there's a thing where Dassin talks about, you know, he was sent off to London to make this movie right. in the midst of, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, shit that was going on in Hollywood at the time. <laughs> right. Hueck. But he, you know, he didn't know London and, you know, and he, and, and people were like, what do you know about London? And, you know, and people were like, none of this stuff's going to exist there. But uh, lo and behold, it did. He was, uh, he, he was turned on to all these locations by what we'll call a location scout. But the guy the, the location scout had worked for Scotland Yard for years. So he <laughs> he took Dassin into this world, this underworld of uh, 1950s London that, you know, hadn't really never been seen, not much less uh, in, in a noir film, but just anywhere on, you know, it had never been in a film. You know, this, this was a whole nother world um, as far as, you know, uh, what we were used to seeing when you're seeing, you know, London in a film. So. Yeah, that opening shot, man, that big, wide opening yeah. shot of them running. It, it's, it's so, I mean, it's so great. It's so big. It's so wide. I mean, you're seeing both those guys. I mean, it's such a great opening for this movie and, and, and our introduction to Harry Fabian played by Woodmark. We talk about movies, the precursor, you know, the cinemascope. And so, you know, as you, you want, if you want to call it four or three, knock yourself out. <laughs> It's one three three, right? For a movie that has framing or one three three, it's wide and it's it's odd that they could fit so much image inside of such a small area by comparison to like a scope movie, or hell, even a one eight five movie. And they don't fuck around. 
to your point about the the UK, 23 different locations that are not on a lot or a soundstage. Right. So you know, you can tell what stuff is and what isn't. And I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. The sequence when Christo's guy is going around town, putting the word out that you track down Harry Fabian for me and you're going to get yourself a thousand quid. That thing with the camera mounted in the yeah. back seat of the car, dude. Right. When you think about like how the movie is shot, right? Like you're, you're, you're getting so much information visually in every frame. I mean, the, the, I mean, you're, it's not like you're, you, you know, you think of one, three, three and you're like, Oh, I'm missing this, this, but you're not missing anything in this movie. <laughs> no, there's such intention in what you're seeing in the frame. And uh, like when we talked about recently with something like lost souls, where they're doing specific kind of blocking. Well, you don't have that flexibility when you have such a small window to work with, but it's filled so well and you're not seeing anything that they don't want you to see. They're not, they don't just say here, shit this up and just run across the bridge or whatever. You know, like a lot of movies back then, there wasn't a lot of, there's not a lot of camera motion. There's not a lot of camera movement. And performers just perform. That's why a lot of people have always said it's very much like watching a stage show. There's something about this where I don't feel like I'm watching a play. I feel like I'm sitting right there in the room when yeah. these deals are being made and threats no. are being given. Well, you're, you're, you're in and out of these. I mean, and again, we talked before we got on here. This is like the OG Guy Ritchie film, right? Right. Guy Ritchie borrows a lot of elements from night in the city for all of his movies, particularly snatch. Right. (laughs) I mean, uh, I mean the characters that, you know, in, in the locations and each character, I mean, dude, here's the thing about noir. Noir is about desperate people. The hero usually has some sort of redeeming qualities. And, and, you know, it's funny because if you first look at Harry Fabian, you're like, Oh man, there's nothing redeeming, but there is something redeeming about him. He, he's not a bad person. He's just a person who's become consumed with things like being famous and being somebody. And it's not even so much the money, right? It's like, it's more about he wants to be recognized, you know, and, and don't we all kind of want to be recognized at something? Sure. I mean, but that's what's at the heart of Harry Fabian. He's not a bad person, but he, he is a person who is so blinded by being someone you know, he, he does questionable. He's always, he's always on the wrong side of everything <laughs> is, right. is the best way to put it. I feel like he brings bad luck to everybody he comes in contact with. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Right. An unlucky rabbit's foot that everybody seems to carry around because they can't shed him. Again, like you say, he's not, it's not intentional. No. But like you say, he's so blinded by this desire to be a big shot. Money is in play. Sure. But it's just, it's just a way to get where he needs to get to. He doesn't, because when they get, when he gets his money and they set up shop in the gym, it wasn't about money anymore. Man, he's like, I'm running this gym. And, and then it was like, it was just like, I loved it. It was just between one scene and the next. And he's just like, this is what I'm working for now. Now that I'm in this position, the money has gotten the rental of this place. I got these guys training. It just feels like, yeah, all right, now I'm on my way. And he didn't need any more money until someone says, I need more money. And then he's like, all right, well, I'll go get that to make sure this keeps going. He's not constantly looking for money. 
I mean, yes, money is there. It's a discussion, but that's what he's using to pitch to the people that he needs the money from just so he can reach the stature that he thinks he can reach by starting promotions for wrestling. He's he's that guy, right? Like we all we all know these people who are, they, they're obsessed with these, well, let's just call them get-rich-quick schemes. Their whole wrestling thing comes because he's overheard a conversation between Christos and Christos's father, who thinks that like the, you know, the, the modern wrestling with this strangler is, is total bullshit. Right. There's a lot of themes at work in this movie, you know, and without, you know, going down and making this a four hour episode and talking about like, you know, <laughs> good versus evil and like Marxist, uh, you know, the, 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 there's, there's a lot going on, right? If you, if you delve into this movie, the, the money versus no money, I mean, it, you could talk about this movie for hours and hours and hours. We're just here to sort of talk about the movie itself, the characters, you know, the, the, the feel of the noir. But I mean, the one crazy thing about Harry Fabian is like we first see him. So wait, we talked about him running. It's our introduction to him. He's running from somebody. We don't know what it is, but we can assume what it is. About 15 seconds later, when he's caught, trying to steal money out of Mary's purse, right? right? He lives with Gene Tierney's character. And it kind of sets the tone, you know, and and then we have this whole discussion about, you know, why and what, and I'm, I'm, I was looking for a cigarette, and she knows he's not looking for a fucking cigarette. She sees some good in Fabian, right. or she recognizes, here's the thing, Fabian's not afraid of working hard because he, he works really hard at what he's doing. He's right. he's not looking money for nothing kind of thing. He's putting energy and effort into everything he does. He just right. doesn't have the means or the capital to right. ever pull it off. And he makes bad decisions. Every decision he makes right. is bad. Every right. decision. Right. And people that he ties himself to, you know, there's consequences for everything he does in this movie, right? right? Like where he goes to get the money from his ex who's married to fucking, you know, the guy who owns the Silver Fox, his ex, Helen, and, you know, her husband, Philip. Obviously, th- those are those were business decisions made, too, by those two people. Everybody in this movie makes choices that are questionable, like their decisions of convenience. Right. Helen obviously doesn't love Philip. <laughs> they're, no. they're married out of convenience, right? Because right. is, it, is it better to be the madam of the, or, or is it better to be a diamond dance girl? Well, obviously it's better to be the woman in charge of the diamond dance girls and married to the boss, whether you're happy or not. It, you know, there's a lot of crazy themes. I mean, and the performances in this movie are off the chart, dude. And it's funny because Dasson didn't cast anybody other than Widmark was, the, you know, he was, and he was given Widmark, you know, by the studio, because this is back when the studio kind of told you who to put in your movie, right? Yeah, but all these English days. actors, right? They were all people that were just kind of given to him. He didn't know he he'd never worked in London. He didn't know Googie Withers, who plays Helen, or or you know, God, what is the cat that plays Philip? Francis L. Sullivan. Yeah, I mean, and these guys are all so like they're so good. He steals every fucking scene he's in, man. Every scene, as he said to you, pre Mike, he just he gives me those Charles Lawton vibes. Yeah, Where very much Charles so. Lawton was ever ever in a scene, he just he would just embarrass people with just with just his effortless performance and his just he just gives it to you and you don't and you, and you don't even see him break a sweat right and when he does it and he's so and he's so good yeah I mean the thing is is they are all of the English actors are you know they're doing they're playing it subtle they're playing you know and then and and, and, and Widmark's American. Fabian is is this kind of fucking squirrely fucking hustler who's got this kind of crazy energy, which 
and we see what kind of person he is from those opening scenes, you know, every scene he's in, like he's always hustling everybody, dude. Right. Like there's never a moment where he's not hustling someone, whether it's the three guys in the bar with the wallet thing, you know, which he tries again at the wrestling thing. And they're like, get the fuck out of here. And And that's, yeah. You know who I am? Yeah. I know who you are. Get out of here. (laughs) And that's the first time we meet Christo is. Yeah. And the, the, that's the, that's the, the catalyst of, his plan of trying to get into the wrestling game is right. at that moment. Right. With Christo's father, Gregorius, who is the greatest wrestler who ever lived. He's, you know, he's Greco Roman, but his time has passed, but his, his conflict with his son is where Fabian steps in and that, and that, and that's what sets the movie in motion. Right. That that's the beginning of bad choices for Harry Fabian and everybody right. who comes in contact with, cause it, dude, nobody gets away in this movie unscathed. I mean, the end of this movie is such a, fucking downer for like everyone right is there a happy is anybody happy in this movie at the end um (laughs) i mean not even christo dude who i mean (laughs) he gets revenge but i mean what what, at what price i mean his father i mean god damn it when you get to that point for christo it goes all he wanted to do is just tax the guy all he wanted to do is just prove what a piece of shit he is he turned my father against me when i was already strained with that but then there's something that tragic happens and there now he just wants him dead. Right. And we talked about the fact that we have OG wrestling, you know, Greco Roman wrestling and wrestling as we know it today or that for entertainment, for entertainment. And there's a character in there there that we ever really see or communicate with, with other characters. And that's Paul Mazurki playing the strangler. Huh? Mike Mazurki. I I said Paul again, didn't I? Fuck me. It's okay. I know what you meant. Mike Mazurki. And the thing that's funny is like, I don't know why I miss, miss saying his name because I've seen Billy Wilder some like it hot so many fucking times. Yeah. <laughs> I know who he is as soon as I see him. He's great in this. He's great in everything I've ever seen him in. This guy did so many movies. And if you're wondering where that accent is, he's not putting it on, man. That's a, He's from Ukraine and it's, it's a thick accent for somebody in England. But for somebody that's from Ukraine and born there and would live there until he, I think he was 35. Right. He speaks English fantastically well. Oh, yeah. The stuff with him and Stanislaus Zabisco as Gregorio. I mean, dude, and God, dude, oh, like dude, everybody. Yeah. I mean, like I'm saying, Stanislaus Zabisco was the real deal, right? He was yep. this Greco Roman wrestler who they. He's the guy that Dassin pictured. He didn't know his name. He couldn't remember any of it. He didn't know what his face, but he had this face in his mind. And, and, and they found Stanislaus Zabisco living on a chicken farm in New Jersey. He had retired and moved to the States. He's, you know, he's from Poland originally. But I mean, him and Mazursky, there's something about those guys, not in just their scenes together, but in every scene that they're in in the movie. This movie fires on all cylinders from fucking everybody, Um, you know, whether it's all happy accidents or happenstance or however you want to say it. I want to give Dassin credit because Dassin made some of the best noir movies before this. If you look at Jules Dassin's resume (laughs) and you look at the movies he's done before Night in the City and then after Night in the City, you know, once once he was banished from Hollywood, spent the rest of his career making movies in Europe. At the end, when he when when the Strangler. You know, that whole sequence oh, when dear. Fabian's out trying to get the money to, you know, he goes to see Philip for the money to right. get the, for the fight and everything. Uh. Right. When Fabian is chased back to the gym, trying to beat back the guys there. And I love the casualness now 
of Nicholas and the Strangler just fighting. Yeah. Just kind of wrestling. And like, they're all part of it now. And now they're like, it, 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 that to me felt so much like how current wrestling is now. You know, they're just working out the choreography and everything like that. Yeah. By the way, Ken Richmond, he is the younger son uh, and Kirkos's brother, but the younger son to Gregorius. And he is, it, it sets up this thing where he, the two of them are supposed to fight. It's supposed to be a strangler and Nicholas. That's the fight that Woodmark is setting up. When they get to a point where they, there's so much anger from Gregorius about the disrespect that type of wrestling means to him. And when it's like, it, she just, he feels like a slap across my face and my son is the one that's putting it in my face. This is why that Christo and Gregorius have such a strained relationship. They have different views on this thing. And Christo never respected what his father did. No. Gregorius is not angry at him again, like I'm mad angry. He's mad. He's disappointedly mad at him and hurt that his son would do that to him. It's never spelled out that way, but that's how I interpret it. And the end scene, dude, fuck off. Yeah, it's rough, man. Yeah. That whole thing is like, yeah. and you know, in Christo, played by Herbert Lom, who I fucking love, man. Yeah. Funny when Lom first shows up, and most people, I, I, you know, myself included, my first introduction when I was a kid, he was Chief Inspector Dreyfus <laughs> uh, to Peter Sellers' Cluso. Yeah. The guy with the winky eye. But I mean, you know, seeing him in this movie, you know, young and uh, I mean, I've seen him in several other things. He's in a bunch of bolting, you know, he's in a bunch, he's in Lady Killers and a bunch of other things. That last scene with him and Gregorius where it's playing out after the big fight in the ring, they're both so fucking good. Watching Gregorius, you know, I I get choked up thinking about it. And Lam, when he goes to close the window, which is not open. Yeah, he, Gregorius asked him if he could close the window and it's not open. Yeah, man. We don't know it's not open until he goes to close it. Yeah. And we don't know, right, as as, a, as an audience, but, you know, he knows, but he's just the way he looks at his father and the way that, uh, you know, and here's this crazy thing, man, is uh, Stanislaus Zabiska was 71 when they shot this movie. I know. I was going to comment about his age for shooting this movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it wasn't like he had a light, you know, you know, he had a pretty active, rough. I mean, he was a wrestler for God's sakes for, right. you know, and he was 71 years old when they did this and he, and he wasn't by any means, um, a professional actor, but I right. mean, in, in those moments, I mean, he's good through the whole movie, but in that last moment, that last scene with him and Lom, I mean, that's some fucking, that's some fantastic acting, right? Like Dassin tells a story like while they were shooting it, you know, that Widmark is standing. He said, here's the thing. Widmark would show up whether he was in the scenes with Gregorius or not. And he would always stand behind Dawson and, 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 and provide eye lines and, and things like that and for Stanislaus. Dawson says that Widmark is standing behind him with his hand and his shoulder digging into his shoulder. And he leans into Dawson and he says, oh, my God, he's dying. He literally thought he, you know, Widmark thought he was dying. Like right. that the, the, the whole scene was, everything was too much and... There are so many powerful moments in this movie, uh, not unlike this, but this it's funny because the, the story is really about Fabian, but it's, to me, this is the most powerful image in the whole movie right. is that right. scene between Christos and Gregorius. When Christo before that, when the fight's still going on, because at this point, Nicholas get, hurts his wrist right, and Gregorius is fucking raging. So he grabs a strangle and they start going at it and they start fighting the two styles 
through all that, Christo and his henchmen find out where Fabian is and they're coming after him. And they show up while Gregorius and Strangler are fighting. And then he finally severely sees something he's never seen before. He's seen the physical manifestation of the two opinions about yes. wrestling. And he, get, and he watches his father show him. And even ends with a line that just goes, just fucking, just, it rips you apart, man. Because like you said, it's, the movie's really about Fabian, but is it? Right. It's, it's as much when you get to that say, and you think it's about Fabian the whole time, and it is, but like you noted, but once you get to that point with a father and son having their moment where Christo finally sees what his father's been talking about, and he had to show it to him. He couldn't just take his right. word for it because it was his father. No, man, that, seriously, that third act is rough, dude. It's not just things catching up to Fabian. It's the, the nope. stuff that's going on around it. Right, man. I mean, and, and, and like this movie ends poorly for everyone, for yeah. Philip, for Helen, for Mary. Yeah. The only guy who really sort of skates this movie is Hugh Marlowe as Adam Dunn, the artist who lives <laughs> upstairs yeah. from... Uh, I'm watching the beginning of the movie and there's Jean Tierney because I didn't know she was in it. I'm like, oh, she's just, like I said, she's a freaking smoke show. And then she runs upstairs to to Hugh Marlowe's room. And I'm like, oh well, he's probably a smoke show for a lot of people. <laughs> so it was like, it was like, and I thought for sure both of them. I thought they're going to be in so much more. But Hugh Marlowe shows up at good times, and it's kind of yeah. fun to see him in there. But Marlowe, it's funny because I immediately recognized him from All About Eve, right? Which also, and well, the day the earth stood still, he's in a ton of stuff, right? But when he shows up in this movie, it takes you a minute to like realize that, oh, holy shit. What is Hugh Marlowe? You, you're, so of course you're thinking he's going to be in more right. of the movie. Nope. Nope. But he's, here's the thing. You don't need, he's perfectly, you get yes. just the right amount of what you need of him, what yeah. his character is supposed to do in this movie. Yeah. Widmark can never do anything right. Like all of his scheme, the only scheme that ever pays off for him is the last one. Right. Where he makes that sacrifice, you know, for Mary Bristol. Right. Payback for all the wrongs all the hardship she and all the shit he put her through, right. you know, and she stood by him knowing that he's stealing money for her knowing that he, you know, he can't hold the job, you know, him and his get rich quick schemes. And that's his form of redemption in the movie. How about God, that chase that like that last from the moment where she leaves that dock house and, yeah. and he runs down the street and the strength of fucking snatch. <laughs> I mean, fuck man. You're, Cause you're not, I mean, that kind of just comes out of nowhere. You're like you're not, a, you, I, in my mind, even I've seen this movie fucking 15, 20 times, probably I always forget cause I'm so concentrated on him, her Christo standing on the bridge, looking right. down at it. You know, that, that moment happens when the strangler comes out of nowhere and just snatches Fabian up by the throat. Right. And like, yeah. it's so like, holy fuck. That last shot when he's carrying him and then you, and you see Christo and his henchmen on the bridge as he's, well, fuck, dude. A modern day, hell, shit. A movie in the 60s would have had a punch in of him on the bridge. Yeah. Just staying where they were. Like I said, there's a there's a fly on the wall. I'm right there while it's happening thing to it. It's not just when they're in a room together. Here they are outside in the gray wide open. And it's like you're standing right next to the strangler as he's carrying... Fabian down to the water and you could just look over and see Krista on the bridge. You don't, with your eyes, not with the camera's eyes, you're just seeing him as if you're the standing there. That's just fucking so good. That's why the, the, the movie is so for, um, you don't get a lot of movies like that, that are that are immersive. 
No. Just because of how much movies have changed over the years. Right. But even when you talk about 1950, again, it doesn't, it doesn't register part of the way. Like when you think about when the movie's over, I'm like, this movie is 73 years old. How does it make me feel like I'm standing right there while it's happening? Right. Those moments, like we talked about, there's that, you know, there, there's several of those moments. There's the moment when uh, Helen is leaving Philip and she's, I'm leaving. And he says, you don't know what you get yourself into with Fabian. She's like, I know what I'm in now. <laughs> yeah. He says, you'll be back. Or she says, what, what, you know, and then he says, and I'll take you back. I mean, the, just the both of them know, you know, and then when she does come back, it's too late. It's, you know, it's, fuck man. Everybody has regrets in this movie and right. like nobody, nobody escapes this movie unscathed. I mean, their story to me is just as fascinating as anything else that's going on. And you know what I mean? Like right. you're invested in every character in this movie, which is right. Woodmark does the lion's share of this. You know, it's again, Harry Fabian is the, is, is what sets the story in motion and we're following him. But along the way, we're introduced to all these other characters and, and all of them are just as interesting and their stories are as interesting and tragically tied, you know, to Fabian. Right. Yeah, man, it's, it, uh, this is one of my favorite movies, my, noir or not. I mean, I've always loved this movie. I feel like I probably came across this movie a couple years before they remade the, did, did the remake. I think I saw it in a film appreciation class when I was probably like 17 or 18. Right. You know, it, like I felt like you did, like when you saw it for the first time last night, I was like, holy fuck, man. Yeah. It really sort of like this movie's, you know, at that time it was, that movie was 38 years old, 37 years old, something like that. Right. How did that just happen to me? <laughs> like, yeah, that's an old movie. I mean, I, you know, shouldn't I be bored? <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those movies, man. It, it, it's a seminal noir movie, but it's weird because I feel like it's a movie while everybody kind of knows it, it doesn't get talked about as much as like, you know, th there's several noir movies that are mentioned in every conversation. And I feel like this movie isn't, but should be. And there's something I wanted to add to it, uh, just the overall thing. And, and it can't be understated what a big deal it was for Zanuck to send Dawson to go make this movie. Zanuck ran Fox at the time, 20th Century. I shouldn't say Fox, but it was 20th Century Fox. Right. Go to London, go film this thing. Like you noted, it was go spend all the money up front and so we can tell I have to keep you on until the movie's done. There is an injection of what Jules Dawson is going through of being basically thrown out of the country. Oh, yeah. Because of his beliefs, how much he injected what his experiences into the character, into the, into the whole tone of the movie. And it's, it's something I didn't think about until later. I mean, I, I was aware of who directed it and, and his situation that he was part of the group that was blacklisted. What I didn't realize before, well, I didn't know bef I did know beforehand that of, of Zanuck sending him off to go make the movie, but I didn't realize how much his experience, even up to that point where it really wasn't as bad yet and it really didn't get crazy that he, how much of his anger and frustration seeped into the movie and the overall tone of the movie. And you, you can see when you know the backstory of what was going on with him, you see a little bit of him, him and Fabian, you see a little bit of him in Gregorius, you see a little bit and knowing where Jules Dawson comes from. Being a man that was born in Connecticut, him 
dying, I think he passed away in Greece. I just love the whole, the ties he eventually had to what happens in this movie to where he lived out his life after he was blacklisted. Oh yeah. And those McCarthy years and everything. He, it's a very moving movie. It's even more so when you know more about the turmoil surrounding the production, what's going on with him right. and just the film industry period. I mean, it's crazy, man. And to think that he passed away in 2008. Right. I mean, it seems like ancient history, like, you know, 1950. But I mean, he lived, you know, into his 90s, passed away in 2008, which, you know, isn't that long ago. No. <laughs> you know, and, and to look at, you know, his filmography on the way to Night in the City, right? Like right. he had already made, I mean, he was a, a, he was a very established director. He, did, he had done Brute Force with uh, Lancaster. He did The Naked City and Thieves Highway. Um, those were all before Night in the City. And then probably his, I guess if you're saying masterpiece, like Rafifi, which, you know, I, I think I had mentioned to you before you watched this, you know, Rafifi has one of the greatest like heist sequences of all heist movies ever. But then, you know, he kept, you know, after not saying, I don't want to say sentenced, but after he was banished <laughs> and, you know, sent off to Europe, I mean, he still made some seminal movies, the top copies, another one, another great film that he made in the sixties and uh, never on Sunday. I mean, he had a long career afterwards, but I mean, I feel like night in the city is everything all coming together like at once, like, you know, the transitional period. So, I mean, he's very much, you know, his situation very much parallels, what's going on with all the characters in the movie, like you're saying. Uh, it's a movie that I wish more people could see this movie. I wish it would screen every now and again. I, I don't remember the last time I even saw a screening, you know, for like this was, this was screening, because I would definitely <clears throat> make myself available to go out and, and see this again in a big theater. I mean, I'm kind of jealous about that new Blu-ray. It looks pretty fantastic. Dude, it, looks, it looks amazing. It really does. I mean, the second it starts, it's just, I've always loved... I always love Criterion. So you just drop the disc and there's no bullshit in front of it. Just, yeah, just right. jumps right to the menu once it loads. There's such these, these moments in this movie, like these little subtle things that happen, like, you know, in, in that last uh, encounter with Fabian and Philip, right. where they're having their discussion and he's like, well, you don't understand. He's like, he gives that crazy laugh. Hey, you don't understand. I got Gregorius. He's at my, they were waiting for the contract. <laughs> yeah. And somebody's going to get, and he's just like laughs. He's so so just laughs maniacal. And, yeah. He's right, like, tells him you're dead already. You just don't know. Yeah. Woodmark starts to leave and Philip walks over to the drums and he fucking hits the fucking cymbal and just, I mean, it's, it's just those little bits, right? Like you're like, fuck, you know, it's yeah. such a like moment. Right. And you're waiting for Widmark's reaction because we know who Phil's really calling. Yeah. And yeah, that's so good. Yeah. I'll round out my feelings about the movie. I, I, I adore it. It's like definitely, it's definitely on my, one of my favorites list now. And I can't get over how much Guy Ritchie, <laughs> what you consider a Guy Ritchie joint. <laughs> yeah. Is, right? is a mixture of characters from all walks of life, like everything he does. Lots of outside stuff. Rarely is he on a soundstage. And this movie, again, oddly, when the 1950, man, movies were 90 plus percent <laughs> inside. On lots. On, on a lot of soundstage. Yeah. And this shit is out in the public numerous times. 
And it's not just a quick little, hey, go send the camera out and get some B-roll. No, man, they got full-on dialogue scenes, key moments of the movie that take place outside. And not just outside, on location. And it's it's pretty fucking stellar. And they're intricate. Yes. They're not like, set the camera here and, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wild, man. Max Greenbaum, cinematographer. I would say this is probably, fuck, I don't know. This, this is probably the best thing he, I mean, not the best thing, but this is probably what he's most known for, I would imagine. Right. Uh, you know, looking at the other things he shot, lots of classic films. But I mean, this is the one that fucking sticks out in my mind. I'm like, because right. one of the things that comes to mind when you watch this movie is the cinematography. You know, it, this reminds me a lot of, uh, I mean, that opening shot, it, I like the way it bookends too, right? We get the opening right. shot, baby and running, <laughs> right. and we come full circle and there he is again doing the exact same fucking thing. That yeah. last chase sequence, what, what I was going to say, you know, that is him, it all comes full circle. One of the things, I'll, I'll, I shouldn't have interrupted you, let you finish your thoughts, but we, no. I just want to touch on the two things real quick, the scores. And yeah. you'll get, you, you got to listen to that thing and then we, we'll talk about it more. But the score in this movie, the American score is so, for the, for the American cut and the, the, the British cut, it literally, they're so different. And, and um, I'd be interested to hear your preference once you've had a chance to sort of watch these pieces cut with different scores. It's, it's pretty yeah. crazy, man. You're yeah. going to enjoy the shit out of that disc. Right on. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. As soon as I saw that, it was like, I was bummed because I was like, uh, when we were trying to figure out when I was going to watch it, how I was going to watch the movie. And I'm like, oh, I better buy the movie then. And then I just, the Criterion sale had just ended for directly from Criterion. I went, crap. But fortunately, Amazon still had it for 45% off. I'm like, oh, that's close enough. <laughs> Good enough. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's well worth it anyway. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean it's, it's one of the movies I would pay full price for. Jo- yeah, Joey had come downstairs taking a break from playing video games and he's halfway through the movie and he didn't know what it was. Obviously, he's instant, instantly intrigued because, well, why isn't that filling up the whole screen kind of thing? And right. it's, it's super crisp and contrasty. Like he was, I said, well, we'll sit down and watch it later, but don't, don't, don't start now. Yeah, no, 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 no. You don't want, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'd be interested to see, you know, because Joey's probably around, he's close to the age I was when I first saw that movie. Yeah. So I'd be curious, you know, how it translates to somebody 30 years after you know, more than 30 years, probably 35 years after, you know, me seeing it at 17 or yeah, 17, I guess. Uh-huh. And opposed to somebody now seeing it at 17 with so much, you know, space. Cause there's probably more space between the movie from when I saw it the first time to when he's going to see it to the first time than there was from the time when the movie came out to when I saw it. <laughs> now does a British endings, I know it's supposed to be a little more upbeat. He still gets tossed off the river and everything, but you see, you see the strangler go to jail. You know, you see the cops arrest the strangler, and then you see um, Marlo and uh, Mary walk off together into the sunset. You know, up the fucking stairs and across the bridge into the fucking beautiful morning. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a trip, and the score. You know, the the scores are different, um, definitely. And, and some of this, you, you'll see, they kind of break it down. The guy who narrates the, the extra, the feature there, he kind of breaks it down. While they're not completely different scenes, they're just using different parts of scenes. Right. And they're edited together differently. You know, they're all from the same scene, but it's stuff that wasn't used. And it's not like they just added stuff on. It's literally 
different parts of the scene or the way, the way it's edited. And it's pretty cool. And then, you know, the music is drastically, it's, you know, it's, it's there's two different schools of score going on there. The, the American ending is way more cynical and fucking bleak than the English one, which is weird, right? And that's what really surprises me because usually it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. I mean, it's a, yeah. So, and apparently Dassin preferred the uh, American version of the film. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's, this is how you like to start a month. <laughs> oh, boom. There you go. Noir Vember in full effect. Now, again, this is fortunately Night in the City, the 1950 version, not the 90s version, is only available on Criterion. You thought it might have been on the Criterion channel. I didn't see it on there. It was at one point, but I, it's not now. I looked. Yeah. I think both that and the other older movie is not on there either, but the older movie is on max. Yeah, so it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. As I think half the movies are on max and the other two are disc only, or you're going to have to rent them. Um, right. So I'm glad this is the order we were doing things in. And I think we're serpentining them, right? We're kind of going yeah, back we're and forth. Go, we're going, we're going noir, neo-noir, noir, neo-noir. Neo -noir. So we're perfect. And a new one or newer one. So if you want to dive into that, go for it. You, we got It's going to be a fun month. And I have a feeling that a lot of people out there have heard of these movies, but have never seen them. And I mean all four of them. I don't just mean the older ones. Right. So cool. All right. If you want to follow us on the socials at, at Karate Pod on Twitter, Insta, and Letterboxd, uh, you can follow Corey on Letterboxd at Culprit97 and on Letterboxd, Corey underscore Culp. And also, you can follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash karate pod. If you'd like to follow Freddie, you can follow me at rockandroll33 on Instagram, or you can follow me at Gregorius Christo at letterbox.com. That's Gregorius Christo at letterbox.com. Greco Roman. <laughs> <laughs>